Here at Hartford City Church in 2018, we believe that this is the year of visible transformation. Where we can begin to see what God is doing. Where we can take something that can just a basic piece of wood. We don't even know what it's going to look like. And then over these several weeks, you can see what is being transformed. It is being built into something that we didn't even know exactly what it was going to be in the beginning. And that's like our lives. God is working in our lives to transform us in ways we don't even know what it's going to look like. It might even look different than what we thought it was going to look like. It might look, you know, completely un- unusual to us, something new to us, right? But God is working in our life because eventually God wants to shine his glory through us, right? God wants his light to shine in us. And if people are going to see the light in our lives, then we need to be transformed. We need to be transformed. And God is working. God is moving in our lives. Just, you know, just step by step, piece by piece. And I love this verse because it tells us how God is transforming us. It gives us really a challenge, right? It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And the message today could quite simply be, don't conform, be transformed. Don't conform to the world and its patterns, but be transformed, be changed. Be made into something new. Be made into something better. Each and every one of us can do that. It doesn't matter the obstacles because God is the master carpenter. It doesn't matter how stubborn the wood is, amen? The wood may be stubborn. You may be a stubborn piece of wood this morning. Hallelujah. I didn't mean to say that to you, but if God told you you're a stubborn piece of wood this morning, if you got a bunch of knots in you, God is the master carpenter and he's working. He's working. He's sad. He's I mean, he's getting you to be something beautiful, right? God may, God may be polishing up your life right now. You may not even understand the difficulties. And remember last week we talked about how God is holding you sometimes so that he can mold you, right? God is holding you so that he can mold you. We've got to trust God's work in our lives. Don't conform to the pattern of this world. You see, everybody has a pattern. Everybody has, some people say, a lens that they look through to see the world. I'm going to use a frame this morning. Everybody has a frame through which they look through at the world. They look and I see the world through this frame, right? It's called a worldview. Everyone has one. Everyone has a lens. Everyone has a frame by which they look through the and see the world, right? And it helps them interpret what they see. It helps them understand what's going on in their lives. But how do we get these frames? How do we get this? We get it because of our family, right? They teach us to look at the world in a certain way, right? You know, kids, kids don't learn all of the negative things in this world. They get taught to us, right? We, we don't just come out thinking about how we're all separated as different people. We get taught that separation. We don't just come out knowing what we believe about politics or about religion or about anything else. It gets taught to us. We're given a frame by which we can see the world, right? And sometimes it's our education. Sometimes it's our experiences. It's our family. And what happens when you grow up in the church is this. The church gives you a frame and says, this is the way that you look at the world. We call it a biblical worldview. So we're going to give this to you and say, if you looked at the world through this, you would see how the world really is. But you know what the problem is? You know what the problem is? Just because somebody told me this was a biblical worldview doesn't mean it is. What I found is that the way sometimes that religious people look at the world is very limiting. It's very limiting. It's not expanding like it should be. 
You see, the really, if we want to have the proper view of the world, it shouldn't be limited like this, but rather this should be something that opens us up into a new world. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That the way that God helps you to see the world should not limit you, but should actually open you up to new possibilities, to new, right? Right? That's where the magic comes. All right? I'm going to see if we can do this. It reminds me of this movie. Let's see if we can do this movie clip. And in this movie... The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, based on the wonderful book by C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, I'm going to see if Skylar, my man, can get this up for me in a second. And it just describes what I believe God wants us to experience when it comes to a worldview. Amen? How we doing? Are we getting there? Amen. He's just switching back and forth. Hang on a second. All right. Yeah, stop for a second. Turn it up. That picture is what I believe. That when we understand how God wants us to see the world, that rather than limiting the world, it actually opens us up into the, a new world, to something beyond our wildest imaginations, right? Because God can do infinitely more than all we think or even ask or imagine, right? No eye has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who love him. So what is the worldview? What is the frame that will not limit our world but take us through into the new reality? Well, I want to share with you this morning that the only way to understand the Bible, the frame by which we understand the Bible is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the one who should frame our lives. And that's why I've asked you guys to join with me going up to Easter and read one of the Gospels. In fact, just read one of them, okay? There's like Matthew, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That will give you a frame to understand Jesus and what he taught and what he said and what he did to understand the world. And when we have Jesus as our frame, suddenly we're not limited, but we see the unlimited possibilities through Jesus of what can happen. On the other side, we need to reframe our lives this morning, friends. We need to reframe our lives, be, be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that our mind can begin to understand the world and see the world the way that God wants us to see the world. And it begins to happen right here in this passage, right? So the first thing that we need to reframe, that we need to be transformed, we don't conform to the pattern of this world you guys understand what I mean by the pattern of this world? I mean that we spend more of our time, right, listening, reading, or watching the news, or social media, or talking to people, and usually they're like-minded people, and we spend comparatively very little time listening to the Word of God, listening to the Holy Spirit, 
really reflecting upon what's happening in our lives and in our world. So in this passage, we see that the very first thing that gets reframed is our definition of worship. Romans 12, 1 says that we should offer our bodies as living sacrifices, that that is our true and spiritual worship. This is one of my favorite quotes by Reverend Billy Graham, who sadly passed away this week, but praise the Lord, he's with him today. He said, the greatest form of praise is the sound of consecrated feet, seeking out the lost and the helpless. So what I need to reframe for you is that worship is not music, just music. Worship is not just singing, but worship is a life that is lived out. Worship is helping others. Worship is going. You see, in worship, in praise, here on Sunday morning or when you listen to praise wherever you are, what it does is it connects us with God. It does. God is always with us, but it's like there's a veil around us. And when we sing through music and worship and we listen to it, that veil is dropped and we begin to experience the presence of God flooding into our lives, much the way that water flooded into the room when it was opened up, right? Praise is the portal by which the presence of God gets flooded into our lives, but it's not just so that we can sit there and be soaked. We got too many Christians that like to get soaked and they're just sitting here and soaking. But it's for the point of us going out into the world, right? And seeking those who are lost, seeking those who are helpless, seeking those who need God and telling them of the great love of Jesus Christ. Going out and feeding the hungry, going out and helping those who need help. We, that's what we're called to do. That is worship. Worship gets redefined, it gets reframed when we understand that our entire life is worship. Same with the offering. This morning at the end of the service, when we leave, you get an opportunity in our big orange buckets to drop in an offering. Or you get an opportunity online, you know, to give to this church. You get an opportunity to write a check. And that's just the beginning of our worship. Because what does God want? He wants your whole life. He wants you to jump inside that bucket. He wants you to say, God, everything, my time, my talents, everything that I own, my children, my grandchildren, they belong to you. All of my gifts, all of my skills, everything that I take pride in, it belongs to you. And I give it to you. You know, it's one thing to stand here and sing with arms held high, Lord, I give you my life. But you know the daily struggle. We're trying to help people get better. We're trying to help each other get better. And like I said before, nobody wants to change. Nobody wants to do anything different, right? Nobody's willing to say, hey, maybe I'm not all that. Maybe I don't know everything. But if I begin to look at the world through Jesus Christ and understand his word through Jesus Christ, then maybe I can begin to be transformed because my mind is being renewed. What goes into your mind is important. It begins to affect you. And you want to renew your mind. You want to renew your mind with this definition of worship that's not just gathering here, but it begins here. A lot of people are like, oh, I don't need to go to church at all. I'll just go out and do it all out on my own. But the problem is it's like you're out on your own and you don't need to be. God doesn't want you to be. God wants us to be a community. God wants us to be a family. And sometimes it may not feel like much, but it's got to begin somewhere, right? It's got to begin somewhere. Here's where it begins. So when I say that I'm so glad you're here, when I tell you that I'm happy to see you, I mean it. I mean it from my heart. I know that God is beginning, just beginning, to make something really beautiful and amazing with Hartford City Church. 
anyone else believes it too, let me know. Anyone? Anyone? Amen? All right. Let's continue on because I believe in chapter 12 that the writer Paul goes on to give us a definition of what life and love should look like, right? So really, we know that God wants us to love, that that's the most important thing. That's why at Hartford City Church, we love all, we serve all, we welcome all. Because God wants us to love. But we need to understand he gives us right in this chapter some ideas on what love and action looks like. And I want to go through those this morning. If we could, I don't have time to go through them all. I don't have time to go through them all. So you got to read Romans chapter 12. In fact, if you got your Bibles, open up right now to Romans chapter 12. Go ahead, just open up. Get it on your phone, get it on your iPad. Just go to Romans chapter 12 because you're going to want to look at this. And one of the things that I pick to say to you is probably what God exactly wants to say to you. But you might find something else that he's speaking to you as well that I just didn't have time to get to. Amen. But I want you to take this Romans 12 and read it every day this week. Every day. Meditate upon it. Think about how it could change your life if you let it. Beginning in verse 9, it says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Now, is that strange to anybody? We're going to redefine love here for a minute this morning, can we? And the first thing he talks about is hate. That sounds weird. Love must be sincere, therefore you have to hate. Like, that doesn't make sense. That, that, I don't understand that. How, what, what does hate have to do with love? But love must be sincere. Right? Love must be true. Love must be real. It must not be some kind of fake love. Right? There are a lot of things that are not love that we think are love. And that's why we are called to hate that which is evil, to hate what is evil. Notice, friends, it says what, not who. Listen to me carefully. It says what, not who. Because people are not evil. People do evil things, and there's evil in the world, and the evil comes from Satan and devil, who is the father of lies, and the lies and the systems and the patterns of this world that the devil has created. That's evil. And the demons that serve him, they are evil. And the things that get done that bring death and destruction on this earth are evil. It says, hate what is evil, not who is evil. Hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Let me see if I can help you understand a little bit about what hate has to do with love. We need to hate certain things that are not love for love to be sincere. I want you guys to listen to me very carefully this morning. Abuse is not love. Abuse and violence is not love. Manipulation and playing games is not love. Codependency is not love. Pornography is not love. Paying for sex is not love. Slavery of any kind is not love. We need to hate that which is evil, but cling to that which is good. For love must be sincere. And for it to be sincere, we need to not let anyone or anything tell you that that which is not love is love. Because we know that true love only comes from God, revealed through Jesus Christ. Through his frame, we can see what true love really looks like and we can receive that love from God which helps us to love others there's another thing it says in here and again it says so many things it says honor one another above yourselves honor one another above yourselves 
And I think we need that today, right? Honor means to lift someone up. When was the last time you honored someone? When was the last time you lifted someone up? Can you think about it? It's so easy to tear down. We know it's easy to tear down. We know it's easy, right? Because that's so much more fun. You're like, what do you mean fun? All right, think back to when you were little or your kids were little, right? How many of you got little, you got little kids? This is what happened to me, okay? Maybe it didn't happen to you, but we'd get out the blocks, right? And we'd start to build them up. And I had these kids that instead of helping me build the blocks, they would stand there with that grin on their face because you know what they wanted to do, right? They were waiting. They could hardly contain themselves because they wanted to come in and knock it all down and then do it again. Daddy, do it again. I'm like, all right, you know, so you're trying to build. And sometimes, though, me being just slightly competitive, I really want to build something good and wait for them. But they couldn't wait to knock it down. And we got a bunch of people in this world today who are acting like three-year-olds. They're just tearing things down. They just can't wait to knock somebody down just for the fun of knocking it down. God says, honor one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Lift up. Lift up someone. Don't tear them down. Lift them up. We need to honor. Also says that love redefined is when we help those who are in need. It says, share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. If you have brothers and sisters that you need to help, then help them. That's love. And I want to say so many of you do that. And I want to say that's good. Right? You should know that you are walking in love when you are helping people who are in need. That is a very important thing to do. And again, sometimes we we feel all kinds of ways about what we're not doing. But I want to honor what you are doing. Right? Well, I couldn't do very much. All I could do was this. But what you did was what nobody else did, right? Some of you, some of you are working with youth, working with young people, and you're like, well, all I can give is just that hour a week that we have youth group. Well, I honor you for that hour. That's an hour more than anyone else is giving. You may say, this is all I can give. I don't have much money. I just give this amount to the church to help people. Well, that's all right. That's $5, $10 more than anybody else is giving. You know what I mean? It's you. It's you giving. We help. We help and we we do a part. We don't have to do everything. But we help where help is needed. We help where help is needed. Without judgment. Without condemnation. Because you're like, yes, if my brother, my sister, my cousin was in, in need, I would help them. And I would like to think that if someone in the church was in need, yes, you would help them. But what does it go on to say? It goes on to break the pattern of this world. And it says, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, then feed them. And if they are thirsty, then give them something to drink. Jesus Christ, when I look through his frame, tells me that I should help anyone that has a need. And that I should not be judging people. I love another quote from Billy Graham. I didn't get it up. He said, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's God's job to judge. And it's my job to love. And I want to say to some Christians this morning, hopefully you're not here, but if you are, it's okay. God will heal you after this. Stop being God. Stop being the Holy Spirit. And be the son or daughter that God created you to be and love somebody. Don't convict them. Don't condemn them. Don't judge them. Just love somebody. You see, the patterns of this world are these lines that we draw. And the lines that we draw keep us separated. Right? 
and we don't reach out and help each other. Now the lines are good, don't get me wrong. We draw lines because that's what we do. We draw lines on a piece of paper around states and countries and we say this belongs to us and that belongs to you. We draw lines all the time, right? We draw lines, that's what we do. But when someone's in need, that line cannot become an excuse not to help that person that's in need. God is calling us to step across the line and to love somebody. That's exactly what Jesus did. In fact, if you read Jesus, if you read Jesus, here's what I've seen. Okay, it may not be 100% because I never know if anything's 100%. But as I read Jesus, here's what I see. Whenever someone drew a line in society, Jesus stepped across it and stood with those who were on the other side of the line. So I believe that Jesus, God, would call us, if we want to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, we need to see things differently, right? We need to see the situation differently so that we can begin to move in a new and more powerful way, right? And to see it differently means to see people that are in need and then reach out to help them, right? Reach out to help them. Oh my gosh, I don't know how much time I have this morning. There's so much, God, there's so much I want to say, right? So the issue of immigration and people from other countries coming here, refugees, right? We need to under, people need to think about that and make sure that we're doing the best we can do. But when someone's in need, should it matter to me how they got here, where they came from? If they're hungry, I'm to feed them. If they're thirsty, I'm to give them something. You see what I mean? It's about looking at it in a new way. In a new way. Trying to start from a different point of view. The point of view that that is humble. The point of view that honors others above ourselves. The point of view that says we must love in sincerity. And we're not going to allow things that are evil to happen. But we also can't use that as an excuse not to help somebody who's in need. You know, another big line we've drawn, and I'm going to just go there this morning, amen? Because Jasmine prayed for me, and when she prays for me, sometimes I go there. No, I'm not putting this on her, but she did pray for me, amen. What's a line that we have between the church and what? The LGBTQ community, right? You know what that means? Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer. There's lines, right? And we want to discuss everything. We want to philosophize. We want to debate. We want to get into all these intellectual discussions, right? But aren't we called to love them? Come on. Aren't we called to help them if they're in need? Isn't that what, isn't that what Jesus would have done? Yes, Lord. First and foremost, and then in the context of that relationship, begin to deal with the thing. Whose job is it to convict? Not mine. Right. Whose job is it to judge? Not mine. But I know that when I'm in the presence of the Holy Spirit, he does what to me? He convicts me. When I'm in the presence of God, what does he do? He judges me. But how does he see me? Praise God. God uses the same prayer. He doesn't see me. He sees me through Jesus Christ. And when God looks at me, he sees me through the blood of Christ. And he sees that I'm forgiven. And he sees that I am restored. And he sees his child that he loves. That's how God said, praise God, he sees us through Jesus Christ. And we need to begin to see others through the love of Jesus Christ. Through the love of Jesus Christ.
Real simple example. Years ago, I had someone come up to me when I was a youth pastor working with the youth group, and they said, Pastor Phil, they're doing this thing at the school, and I forget what kind of day it was. I honestly don't remember, but it was some kind of day for uh, maybe it was the LGBT club or it was a, a gay pride day or something like that. Something that, you know, there was some kind of day to, to, to remember to honor. He's like, what should I do? What should I do as a Christian? I don't know how to react to that or whatever. There's this club at school. And I said, well, what if you didn't participate in what they were doing? And what if you didn't protest what they were doing? But what if you just like got together some cookies and baked goods and took it to their club and gave it to them? How about that? How about just loving somebody? I know a pastor that went to a gay pride parade in Chicago. And he went there and he he said, it just had a sign that said, I love you. God loves you. And this man who was dressed in his underwear came over and gave him a big hug. It's probably the first Christian he had ever hugged. And for him, that was the first gay man in his underwear that he had ever hugged. <laughs> but that's what God can do. That's what God can do when we reframe the way that we look at the world, right? I'm not talking about right now what's right, what's wrong, the morality, this, that. God will reveal that to us. The Holy Spirit will reveal that to us. When we look at Scripture through Jesus Christ, we will understand what the Scripture says. But in the day-to-day... When we're face-to-face with that person, we need to love them. We need to care for them. That's why Hartford City Church says that we will love all. And we will serve all. And we will welcome all. And eat, no, even if someone doesn't understand that fully, that's what I believe God is calling us to do. Calling us to see life in a new way. Not to conform to the patterns of this world. And sometimes religion is just a pattern of the world. I'm not going to conform any longer to what somebody else tells me is God's way. What somebody else tells me is the way of Christ. I'm going to look at the Bible for myself with the spirit of Jesus Christ in me. And I'm going to be committed to seeing the world the way Jesus does. Here's another one that's kind of hard. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Woo! Don't get a lot of amens on that, do I? Because when someone comes against you, how many of you just immediately think of blessing them, right? right really? Really? Like, like someone says something bad about you, right? Someone stabs you in the back. Someone comes against you, right? Someone betrays you. Someone says a lie about you. Someone's got you feeling some kind of way. And what do you do? You immediately say, oh, let me see how I can bless them. No, 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 right? You're like, how can I get them back? He said, no, love redefined, love reframed is not getting people back. It's not cursing people. You know your words have power? Your words have power. The words you speak of blessing have power to bring forth life. The words you speak against someone have power to damage that person. We are called to bless, to bless, to always bless, to always bless. I knew this girl many years ago, uh, she was about 18, 19 years old, and she was trying to get into this idea, you know, but she was real rough around the edges, real sarcastic. I loved her. She was great. She was great. And she would just be like, she would, she always said, I'll tell you like it is. She would always tell it like it is, you know, and I don't know why those people seem to come into my life, but they do. And they want to tell it like it is all the time. And so what she did was every time someone got, got her mad, she would say, God bless them. But, and I don't think she meant it, but it was her way of trying to get into this, you know. She was like, God bless him. God bless him. She'd be driving down the road, someone cut her off. She's like, oh, Jesus, you better bless that driver right now. You better bless that person that just cut me off. It's kind of funny, but we begin to see that how are we going to transform 
and be renewed in our minds if we don't start thinking about things differently. I want you to think about, seriously, someone. God is revealing to us today that there's someone that you need to bless. Someone that you need to bless. Because your words have power. And you don't need to get back at someone. You don't need to curse at someone. You can let God take care of that. You can let God be God. And what if you just tried kindness? What if you just tried blessing? Realizing that even after all we've done, God still loves us. God still blesses us. Realizing how some of us have been transformed. Amen? Can I get an amen from the people that have been in love or been married a long time? How we've been transformed by someone loving us no matter how many times we hurt them. Amen? Amen? No matter how many times I've done messed up and said things I shouldn't have and I'm still loved, that has transformed my life. How can we transform someone else? By blessing them. By blessing them and not cursing them. Also says be humble. It says here in, in, Romans, in Romans 12, be willing to associate with people of low position. Get down low. Get down low. Don't think so much of yourself. Don't think so much of yourself. Can I just say it? We just need to not think so much of ourselves. Just be humble. You can do more when you're humble. You can do more when you're humble. I wish sometimes people would tell our leaders that. You can accomplish more when you're humble. And I mean all of our leaders, right? You can accomplish more when you're humble. Right? Who did you respond to? An arrogant teacher who had no time for you? Or a teacher that was humble and willing to get down to your level and explain to you what was going on in the class, right? Who did you respond to? And yet we got leaders that think that they don't have to be humble to lead? But it doesn't matter. It's God's job to judge. Right? My job's to love. I need to look at myself and say, you know what? I need to be humble. I need to be willing to hang out with whoever. I need to be willing just to be with someone. That's hard sometimes, right? You want to know where it's hard? Let me tell you this for just a minute. And I don't know how much. Oh, I got a little more time. Hang on. <laughs> when I take trips with people, as you've heard about, to Mexico, El Salvador, we're getting ready to go to Honduras just to check it out. We may offer a trip to Honduras. When, when I go to help people in different situations, maybe um, that have been affected by tragedy or disaster, right? You just meet people that, that are kind of in a low spot, right? And one of the things that's hard, can I tell you this? When I take groups from America, because even, even those of us who are poor here in America, it's, it's not the same poverty that you might see in a third world country, right? So we go there, and, and I, I, this has happened so many times. I go with a group of people, and we go to a house of somebody, right? And what do they want to do? They want to make a meal for us. They want to make food. They want to help us. And, and everybody feels uncomfortable. Like, oh, they have so little, and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're feeding me food. Or they have so little, and they're doing it. It's the most uncomfortable thing for an American to do is to be served by someone that they perceive to be poor. How arrogant is that? In a sneaky way. In a sneaky way, how arrogant is that? Because is it only the rich that get the privilege of extending hospitality? Or could someone who is poor have the honor of taking what they have and placing it before you? And you simply say, thank you for this gift of food and drink. I receive it from you. I am your guest. It honors that person. We have such a hard time because it's a false pride that sneaks into us. It reveals to us that we still think we're better than that person. 
That I should be the one helping them instead of allowing them to help you. Allowing them to help you. And sometimes we have to be vulnerable. Sometimes we have to let go of certain things and allow ourselves, right? To be helped. To be served. To be ministered to. By other people. By other people. We need to learn to be humble. And finally be present. The word also says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And I simply want to say that we need to be present with someone in whatever they're going through. Again, so many times we think love is about correcting or helping or guiding someone. And those moments come. But sometimes there's a moment when we just need to sit with someone. And if they're sad, we just need to sit and be sad with them. Not say anything. And if they're rejoicing, we just need to rejoice. We just need to be there. As a pastor, I get to do two of the most powerful things in the world. Weddings and funerals, right? And in both cases, there's such deep, deep emotion. And at a funeral, when people are grieving... Sometimes I know the best thing I can do is just sit there and not say anything. Not say anything. You don't know how powerful your presence can be even if you don't know what to say. But that you just sit down and say, I don't know what to say. And just cry with that person. Just sit with that person. On the other hand, I love being at weddings. I love being at weddings. Because you kind of set everything aside and you're just rejoicing in the rejoicing, right? You're just rejoicing in the rejoicing because everybody looks nice, the food is good, love is in the air, right? So somehow we're able to let things go, you know? Sometimes even people that, that may be fighting with each other, sometimes they can, they can come together for a wedding. Sometimes they can't, sometimes they can't, right? Sometimes we can just be present and just rejoice with people that are rejoicing, just celebrate. <coughs> And again, it's that selfishness when we, when we can't do that, when we say, when we start to think about what we don't have, or we start to get jealous, or we, you know what I mean? Or we start to think about other things. We just need to rejoice with those who rejoice. We just need to be present. How many of us know the great gift, the great power of just being present? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. If you want to understand what a life of faith is about, this is the reframing that I believe God wants us to do. This is the renewing of our mind that I believe God wants to bring to us. That we would love the Lord, our God, with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves. When people look at you, what they should see about your life is that you love God, that you love others, and that you love yourself. Yes, that's important. One definition I love of faith is accepting our acceptance. Faith is accepting our acceptance. Because we are accepted and loved by God. We dishonor him if we do not love ourselves. As we love others. As we love God. This is what a life of faith should look like. In fact, that's what people should be known for. When you guys walk out of this church, believe it or not, you represent us. Because people know you go to HCC. If they don't, I'll tell them. And the way you act and the way you live represents us, right? But more than that, you represent Christ. Right? You represent the family of God. And what do we want people to be known by? What do I want people to be known by? Oh, man, if people would come to me and say, man, you know, Roger, he really loves God. And Lee, he loves other people. 
And they're both just so full of love that they bless everyone that they see. And I think that's true, by the way, Roger and Lee. I think that's true of you guys. I honor you. You know, and I feel like that's what we want to be known for, right? That's what we want to be known for. We want to be known for our love of God and our love of others because that's the way that we should frame our lives. The frame of our lives with Jesus Christ is to love, is to love God and love others. I want to invite you into a prayer exercise this morning, all right? Amen. Can I give a help, Larry? Can I give a help here? I don't know if we have any pens in the back. Do you have any pens in the back? Alex, you want to help them? Just pass them. I want everyone to take a piece of paper. And we're going to do a little prayer exercise to close this morning. Amen? And I want you to, on your paper, make a frame for your life. And I want you to write these things. Love God, love others, faith, and hope. These are the things that should frame our lives. That should frame the way that we see the world. Okay, so we're going to pass out the papers. Hopefully you have a pen. If you, if you want to share with someone, maybe you can share with someone if they need a pen. And we're just going to spend some time meditating on how God wants us to see the world and to see others.